morning. How we doing? Good to uh, see you this morning. Before I get started, just want to uh, remind you of, of a few things, tell you a few things. First of all, we are uh, beginning to pray for uh, our Easter services. And on the back table, uh, there is a prayer guide uh, for you to take and to begin to pray for uh, for Easter, and so uh, on your way out uh, today, that would be awesome if you could take one of those and 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 pray. And then and then again, want to uh, encourage you if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been here three or four times, to go by the welcome center um, in the back on your way out as well. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, most of you have noticed because um, I'm getting a lot of questions about. Uh, this on my face. And so I thought I'd just tell everybody all at one time so I didn't have to tell the story over and over and over again um, that I just have some pre-cancer uh, skin issues and so I'm putting a chemo cream on there to, to burn all that off and, and so it looks like this. Um, and the good news is it'll be a, probably another month before it heals and so there you have it. Sorry. Uh, you get to look at that. I, you know, I rarely see it, but you see it all the time. So uh, there you go. Well, we're in our fourth uh, week of our series uh, entitled Living with Eternity in Mind. And, and today uh, we're going to talk about a few uh, building blocks and for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul and uh, the character uh, that he had in dealing with the Thessalonians, seeing what we could learn from him uh, and apply uh, in our lives as, as believers in Christ. Uh, so obviously, it begins with a faith in Jesus, uh, receiving salvation through what he did on the cross uh, for us, and also it involves a commitment to perseverance. Now, if you want to become a person of character, if you want to be solid and reliable and strong, you need to decide that you're in it for the long haul. Bailing out's like not an option. And these are the things that provide a foundation for developing character. So how can we build on that foundation, become stronger in our walk with Christ. Paul begins chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, he uh, uses a phrase that's crucial in understanding how to approach living with eternity in mind. He says this in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Most translators translate that last phrase, that you do so more and more, as I want you to intensify your efforts more and more. That that means that Christian maturity is never finished on this side of eternity. No matter how far a Christian has come in love or in holiness, he or she can still abound what? More and more. 
Paul brings up the same idea, verse 10, chapter 4. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this what? More and more. And then again, chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up. Right? Just as you are doing. And so Paul is saying here that these things that you're doing well, keep doing them. Keep it going. Do it more often. Until you, you eventually just get better and better and better at it. Intensify your efforts. So it's, it's a pivotal principle in, in spiritual growth. You grow by strengthening your strengths. So, so most of you know that um, I, I like to play golf in the summertime and, and I get out there with some of the guys from our church and, and we have a great time. And, and the only problem I have with, with golf is with the groundskeeper because he doesn't cut the grass where my ball ends up most of the time. <laughs> it's a serious problem. So a few years ago, I go over to Pine Acres over here on Division Street, and uh, it's a little par three course, and I take some lessons from the golf instructor there. And so during my first lesson, uh, we get started, and you know me, I'm like, I'm messing around with this gal that's giving me this lesson, and I'm like, you probably need to come with me on the course to remind me of all the things that I do wrong with my swing. And she looks at me like straight face, and she goes, that's not how it works. She, uh, I go, what do you mean? She says, the objective is not to tell you everything you do wrong. The objective is to get you to repeat everything you do right. She, she said, if I just tell you what you're doing wrong, you'll just replace one bad habit with another. And then she says, the truth of the matter is, as I've watched you hit some balls, you've actually made some pretty good golf shots. And if I can get you to repeat those steps correctly each time you swing the club, your golf game will improve. Guess what I was thinking? That's a lot like the Christian life. As well as raising kids or having a good marriage or becoming successful in anything that you do. Identify what you're doing right and then intensify those efforts. But most of us are, are, are like, we're used to a different approach. Right? One, one where you put... You, you get put down or you beat yourself up for every single mistake you make where, where the focus is on just doing the bad stuff that you do. Believe it or not, that's not how you succeed in the Christian life. Now, clearly one of the goals is becoming, in becoming a godly person is to get rid of the bad stuff in our lives. I get it, but however, I just think there's a better way of going about it. It's not to direct all your attention to what is wrong. It is to direct your attention to what you're doing and improving and strengthening and growing what is right. Back to the golf example for a second. Like I love my dad, he's in heaven today. But, but he was one of those guys that focused on the bad stuff. So every time growing up we would go play golf or even into adulthood and we would go play and, and obviously I'd hit a bad shot and he, there, here we go, right? Don't lock your knees. Change your grip. Keep your head down. Don't slow down your backswing, right? And on and on and on it went. And I just think that's how many people approach the Christian life. It becomes all about what I'm doing wrong. That's the focus. All the mistakes, all the ways we miss the mark. And until following Jesus is more about 
measuring our failures than about experiencing what Jesus has for us. And people do this in relationships as well. All they can see is what's missing. All they can see is what's wrong. Their needs aren't getting met. Whatever. No relationship will thrive under that model. What we need to do is strengthen our strengths. Zero in on what you're doing right and do it better. So, so I read my Bible. Well, maybe I should read it more effectively. Or maybe I should turn it into a Bible study. Or I have this gift that God's given. Maybe I should use it for the glory of God or the good of others. Now, now this doesn't mean that we ignore our weaknesses and sin. Uh, of course not. It does mean that the more we expand on doing the right thing, the less likely we are to give in to our weaknesses and to sin. You, you know this. There, there are times when you're just clicking along in your Christian walk, right? And you're on target spiritually. And then there are times when you're just kind of like a little off-center. The difference is when you're off-center, you have stopped repeating the swing where the golf ball goes 175 yards right next to the pen. What I'm saying is, is that your focus has shifted in the wrong direction. When we keep Jesus front and center, we keep the word of God in our hearts, when we abide in Jesus' presence and we converse with him throughout the day, guess what? Our spiritual lives thrive. When we are fellowshipping with other believers, right? When, when we make it a point to talk about things that edify, when, when we see uh, or seek out people uh, that have some wisdom, people that know more about the Christian life than, than we do, guess what? Our spiritual lives, what? Thrive. But when our focus shifts to other things, our Christian life suffers. Back to verse 1, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, do so more and more. Intensify your efforts. Here's my challenge for you this morning. Here's the first one. Take a long, hard look at your life and ask yourself this question. Ask yourself, what am I doing right now, 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 for some of you, that might be new territory because you're just not used to doing that. For, for some of you, your concept of Christianity is built on focusing on your sin and, and shortcomings. And today, I just challenge you to follow Paul's example here and take his advice and identifying what you're doing right and then do that more and more. How about this? Finish the sentence. I know God is pleased when I, what would you say? I know God is pleased with me when I spend time in his word. I know God is pleased with me when I use my gifts that he's given me. I know God is pleased with me when I spend time with my family. I know God is pleased with me when I share my faith. You, you fill in the blank. And then do those things as often as possible. And so our focus should be on doing the things that please God. Now, I'm not saying that we throw caution into the wind when it comes to our sin. That, that's not what I'm, where, where I'm going with this today. I am saying the more you focus on pleasing God, the more you strengthen your strengths, the stronger you become, and the weaker sin becomes in your life. 
The first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul mentions three areas in which we need to strengthen our strengths. And these are three areas that you might feel weak in today. Or, or maybe you're just not up to par. No pun intended, if you're following me. Anybody awake? <laughs> All right. So, so re remember the golf swing, right? Identify what you're doing right. Do it more and more. Intensify your efforts. Here's the first one, and it's huge, right? Pursue sexual purity. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. All right, let's just break it down this morning. Paul starts off verse 3. It's God's will for your sanctification. And he gives these commands to the first century Roman culture that is marked with sexual immorality. Right at this time, the Roman Empire, abstinence and sexual purity are like unknown virtues. Right, like Paul makes it very clear that the will of God for the Christian is what? Sexual purity. The idea behind sanctification is to be set apart. And God wants us to be set apart from a godless culture and its sexual immorality. Sound familiar? If our sexual behavior is no different than the Gentiles who don't know God, then we are not sanctified. We're not set apart in the way that God wants us to be. This is why as, as believers we take a stand for certain things. In verse 4, he says we should know how to control our bodies in holiness and honor. And, and so some interpret this part of the passage so that the vessel each one should possess is a wife, right? And, then, and that Paul here is encouraging Christians to get married and express their sexuality in marriage instead of immorality. Yet, yet it seems instead to me that, that Paul meant to encourage each Christian to possess his uh, or her own body, her own vessel, in, in the way that honors God. Either way, the principle here is that we are called to sexual purity. Remember, Paul didn't write this letter to some make-believe house uh, of the Brady Bunch, right? This is not all, all wholesome and right kind of, kind of people he's writing to. Paul wrote to a society, a culture, in which sexual purity and marital fidelity was a foreign concept. In fact, in those days, it was assumed that a man could have and should have as many partners as he wanted. There's an ancient writer who described the Roman Empire this way. He said, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body. And we keep wives to bear children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Right? That's the prevailing attitude and thoughts of that day. Like women served one of three purposes and they all involved sex. And then Paul rolls up and what does he tell him? He says, take responsibility for yourself. Take control of your body. What you do sexually, do it with in holiness and in honor. And then he moves on to verses 6 through 8. And he says that, that, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things. And as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, 
who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Here's what he's driving at. When, when we are sexually immoral, we take advantage and we defraud others and we cheat them in greater ways than we can ever imagine. For those that, that aren't married here today, my encouragement to you is to stay pure. For those who are, are married that are here today, what a great time to open the door of communication with your spouse. To tell them that you want to treat them with honor that, that they deserve. And so ask this question, help me identify those things that I do right. Well, what a great question to ask each other. And then Paul gives us reasons for the command. There are four of them. First he says, because the Lord is an avenger and all of these things. The, the point here is that there are consequences to sin. And that should cause us to have a godly fear and, and awe of God. The second reason is because of our call. God did not call us for impurity. The call is to holiness. And so sexual immorality is inconsistent with who we are in Christ. The third reason is to reject God's, reject God's call to purity is not rejecting man, but God himself. No matter how we rationalize our immorality, we still reject God when we're involved in it. The fourth reason is that we've been given the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who empowers us to overcome immorality. By His Spirit, we have the resources for victory, and we should, we, we should use those resources. So I get it. Living a pure life today, is, for us, is, it's not easy. But I want you to realize that it's always been difficult. It, it was hard in Paul's day. It's hard today. Every generation, every cr culture struggles with this, but it's not impossible. So how do you get there? You strengthen your strengths. You identify what you're doing right. You keep doing it. Right? The second point or way to intensify your effort is to pursue a loving heart. Verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And so we urge you, brothers, do this what? More and more. These principles are, are basic principles that Paul knew were obvious to the Thessalonian Christians. The Thessalonians were taught by God uh, about the importance of love. And Paul is encouraging them, right? He, he's saying, you're doing well at this. So, so keep at it. Keep doing it. Do it more and more. Intensify your efforts. Like, like I probably don't need to sell you on the idea that we should love one another. We all recognize that responsibility as believers in Christ, but I do want to push you to excel in this area, right? Look, look at what you're doing right, but don't leave it there. Don't say, you know what, I've done enough. And instead, ask yourself, how can I do more? How, how can I grow in this area? How can I show my kids that I more effectively love them? How, how can I demonstrate to my spouse a greater love for them? How can I love my neighbors? How can I love my coworkers? How, how can I uh, love them with the love of Christ? Remember, Jesus said this, John 13, 35, but by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love for one another. And we might have thought that new commandment was for us to love Jesus more in a more exceptional, exceptional way. Instead, Jesus directed them, and he's directing us to love one another. Emphasizing that there should be a special presence of love 
amongst the followers of Jesus. It's a crucial building block in the process of spiritual growth. When we can learn to live a life of love. All right, last one. Third way that we intensify our effort is to pursue a quiet life. Paul said something here that I think is a little bit surprising, especially when you first read it. Kind of seems the opposite of what you might think the Christian life should be. Paul says this, verse 11 and 12. He says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Work with your hands as we instructed you so that you might walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So, so Paul's saying that we should have an aspiration or an ambition in life and, and we should inspire to lead a quiet life. Uh, aspire has the thought of ambition. It's translated in, in that way in several versions of the Bible. Quiet has this thought of peace, of, of calm and rest and satisfaction. So I'm thinking, really, Paul, like quiet life? Well, like I thought we were supposed to be out there like witnessing all the time and, and shouting from the mountaintops and crying out against evil and, and pointing out all the wrong with the world and giving the devil a black eye, all those things. That's, those aren't bad things, but Paul's telling us here, just do your job, mind your own business. That's what he's saying. Take care of your responsibilities. And he uses a phrase here that I think is huge. It's important. So that you may walk properly before what? Outsiders. When we combine the love of our brothers and sisters with work, we walk properly. People who are not yet Christians, those on the outside, will see our example and be influenced to become what? Followers of Jesus. And when we do that daily, the impact is huge. You can impress people that you only see once in a blue moon. But when they see your daily life, how you do your job, how you talk to your kids, how you treat others, when they see all of that, you begin to earn their respect. It says something about who you are. That is huge impact on their life. The other interesting phrase in the passage here is, is, is he says to mind your own affairs. Basically, he's saying mind your own business. Right? That means that as believers, we should focus on our own lives instead of meddling in the lives of other, right? Mind your own business. It's a biblical idea. Here's what I think Paul is driving at here. That there's a great difference between Christian duty of putting the interests of others first and the busybody's compulsive itch to put other people right. You tracking with me? The problem is, is that we carry our curiosity about other people's lives into the workplace, into our neighborhoods, and sometimes even into the church, and somehow we think it's okay to discuss and analyze the faults of others. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty. Anybody? Oh, there's a few hands. I thought you were just going to let me just like die and all that. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. When we do that, it's called gossip. Bible has a word for gossip. You know what it is? It's called sin. It is in this situation that we just to do, we, we just need to do what? We need to mind our own business, take care of your own responsibilities. So we've gone over some of these ways to intensify our efforts towards spiritual maturity, right? Sexual purity, 
loving heart, quiet life. I'm going to leave you with one more thought. This one's free. It's not on your outline. I'm just going to throw it in for you. It's John 15, uh, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that, some, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We are called to lay down our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters. How, how, how do you do that? Well, it might look like service. It might look like sacrifice. To place their needs before our own needs. To love them as Christ has loved us. So, so here's my challenge for you this morning. Here's challenge number two, right? It's to remember the golf swing. Strengthen your strengths. Build on that. Look for the things that you're doing right. And then do it more and more. Intensify your efforts. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. God, God my prayer this morning for, for all of us that, that, that are here today is that we might analyze, evaluate our, our Christian life. And God, show us what we do right. Show us the things that, that, that we're doing that are according to your word so that we can do that more and more. God, my prayer is that as we do that, other people will see that and we have opportunity to share Jesus with them. And so, Father, I pray today that you would give us opportunity even this next week that somebody would come into our lives that we would have contact with that we could share the love of Christ with them it's in Jesus name that I pray Amen